Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Where was that recording of those birds taken? Gee whiz, I don't know. Mr. Kelly, you don't look so good. Sorry. (laughs) Thanks. You know, I do like your honesty, though. I do like your honesty, yes. No, I've been battling. uh, Yesterday, I was sick, homesick. I've been battling cold for over a week now, and yesterday, it finally, it grabbed me. It wouldn't let go. feel a lot better today, but still, you know, on the edge there, so got to keep taking stuff and trying to get better. So you might pass out or something? Oh, I don't think I'll do that. Okay. There might be some other vomiting body sounds that are not real pleasant. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you can ask Alex, our our producer. He'll he'll tell you that it's true. Oh, yes, no. I've heard noises this morning. Yeah, please yeah. get out of here. Yeah, so I'll leave and, and leave you to your birds. Oh, by the way, we still as of I didn't see him yesterday, but as of like two days ago, we still had a hummingbird. We had two hummingbirds still. Really? Yeah. Haven't seen any hummingbirds, but the monarchs are still monarchs. Yeah. I thought they had already finished, but I was I've been surprised over the last two weeks or so. Yeah, I have too. I you know most of the hummingbirds were gone. I thought, oh, that's probably it. But no, right. there's a couple that keep buzzing around, so it's pretty cool. Because you got a cool place. Oh, it's the best, man. <laughs> Folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. You can call three one four. Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty with questions, comments, or concerns about your yard, your landscape, your house plants, or whatever it happens to be. And I will tell you, anticipate the interior needles of your pine trees, your spruce trees, mainly the pines as opposed to the spruce, but uh, turning brown and dropping. So this is something that just naturally occurs. As winter comes in, those interior needles are no longer functioning as far as from a health standpoint where the tree's concerned. So it says, I'm compartmentalizing you and you're going to fall off and keep the soil underneath me acidic. But on Saturday mornings, we get together. Oh, by the way, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Alex will answer the phone. All he needs is your name and where you're calling from. He doesn't need to know anything about your question or anything else. So your name and where you're calling from, that would be great. Saturday mornings, we get together and have this roundtable discussion. What's impacting your yard? Whoa, it's it's still so dry. I mean, I can't believe that it's been over a month since we've had any measurable rain, at least in my neighborhood in South City. Uh, And the ground is dry. I've got uh, several, as you know, if you listen to my, let's say, good gardening stroll around my yard, underneath my Mugo Pines, I have some coral bells. I have some Japanese painted ferns. I have a couple other, some hostas. And the other day, they were so wilted. It was unbelievable. So I had to really soak the area underneath the Mugo Pine because the Mugo Pine obviously is taking up a lot of moisture. And then no rain, and the ground is starting to even have some cracks in it. So not in that space necessarily, but in other areas 
along the street and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, your specialty garden space, your taste of the tropics. Get them ready to come inside because it's going to get cooler and cooler and cooler. Uh, potting mixes, how to improve your soil, shearing and pruning, getting rid of those bugs and diseases and everything else, and using the information to make good decisions. So my thoughts or orchestrations are hopefully going to help you solidify your options. Of course, with a final judgment on the action is going to be yours. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, your car, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player is Alex. He's producing today. He's the one who answers the phone. Again, just your name and where you're calling from. That's all he needs. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. Uh, And during the week, I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation, which I call a walk and talk. And you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage. uh, There's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations and on the Internet. And, uh, by the way, today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. As I left home, the sky was just starting to be highlighted by the sunrise. And uh, I headed uh, north on Gravoy and turned east on Spruce. At the end, as you look down Spruce, when you make that turn, at the end of the street, there is Bush Stadium. Bright red letters declare St. Louis Cardinals, and it's 57 degrees. Luckily, the game wouldn't be starting right then because in Atlanta, the hottest, I think, playoff games temperature-wise in history. I think that's what they were saying the other day. And then today with the 57, of course, the temperature is going to rise up. And there is no game today, I don't believe. I think the game is tomorrow, the first home game. So, um, But still, it has been pretty cool these mornings. So uh, as I stepped out of the car and just took a look, uh, the west side of the stadium, this is where the third base side is. That's the home of the Stan Musial statue. That's also where the Metrolink station is, and the Metrolink station is a few steps down. Surrounding Stan Musial statue right now, there's some chartreuse, sweet potato vines. There's boxwood. That hedge is there year-round, but it's so neatly pruned. There is some red blooming coleus, some maroon leaf, uh, uh, red blooming, <laughs> red blooming cannas, sorry, and maroon leaf coleus. There's some, a fine textured annual in there that uh, I think it's I forget what it is. It's a, an aquatic type annual, and it kind of looks like a you know well whatever it is. There's two different plants out there right now that you know at 5:30 in the morning I couldn't think of what they were. So oops. Uh, must be old age. I don't know what's happening to me. Anyway, but uh, as around Stan Mutual, it really looks nice. Some of the employees, I know there's no game today, but the employees are already starting to show up that early in the morning. I was there around, oh, 6.30 or so. But uh, as you headed southward along the walkway and go down some steps, there's some crab apple trees too with the fruits are starting to turn red underneath plantings. A sweet potato vine and dragon wing begonias, which have red flowers. And there are some cannas as well and some more liriope. Down the steps, the oak leaf hydrangea and all the elm trees have been limbed up so nobody can get poked by any kind of branches that are too low. And it's all surrounded by a short wrought iron fence railing type thing with the STL Red Cardinal logo there. As the stadium circles, 6440 races above. 
In the final few beds, there's also some PG hydrangeas, not the oak leaf, but a different one, some begonias, and some other annuals as well. Each square bed also has an elm tree in it, too. So the doorway address right at this part of the stadium is 400 South Broadway. As I said, workers were arriving. The sky was really getting bright quickly. So as the sun starts to come up, it does not fool around. And it is super bright out there right now. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, concerns, or comments. But I will tell you, water, water, your plants need water. Your landscape needs water. Your lawn needs water. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I've start, started to, uh, let's say, decentralize as far as annual-wise and summer growth and stuff like that. Many of my are some of the plants in our landscape, and uh, I've cut down all the cannas, started to move them into the garage. So the potting mixes that they're in, they're in basically all these are in pots, uh, can dry so I can shake off the potting mix and then store the bulbs for the wintertime. And uh, my zoysia is starting to get a little bit of that brownish tint to it. But uh, even though you have zoysia and your, your lawn may be starting to brown too, it still needs to get some moisture, so please do some watering. Let's go to Judy or Judy's yard first here on KMOX. Hi, Judy. Hi, Mike. We had our lawn aerated and top-seeded and then uh, by a lawn service. Two days later, I came home and saw that they had cut the grass. I thought the deal was after you had that done... You, you left it alone until you got sprouts up to like three inches. Is that correct? Well, you sh- once it germinates, you should allow it to get to three inches. But before germination, it doesn't really matter that much. I'm assuming the seed's in good contact with the ground. So even, let's say, the vacuum sort of action created by the mower blades shouldn't disturb it too much. But again, if it, the seed has started to germinate, which is not going to germinate in one day or two days, okay, then you got to let it go to you know three inches for the blade, so that way that tells you the root system is probably adequately anchored into the ground, so it won't suck it up. Good. Uh, can you tell me roughly how long it takes uh, for those seeds to germinate? Uh, it depends upon soil temperatures, but uh, usually any place between let's say seven and twelve to fourteen days. Okay. The ground is pretty warm right now, so it's probably going to be the shorter time period. But uh, I always sort of like, I, you know, like I said, I have zoysia, so we don't do any seeding anymore or anything. But I like to have some kind of little test plot someplace where some seed can be put in a spot where I can kind of watch that seed for, as far as germinating in a pot or whatever, not in a pot, but in a, you know, some place where it's away from everything else and just watch it, and, and that makes it easier than getting down on my hands and knees looking for germinating seed. Okay, great. Well, good. I, I thought, did we just waste our money on that? But we're in good shape as long as I tell them to stay away uh, this coming up week and right. let it be. And I'm assuming you're doing the watering, correct? Like crazy. Okay, good. 
because that's what you should be doing. <laughs> I know. It drives my husband nuts. Stop <laughs> with the watering. It's like, no, we just spent a lot of money. Right. This stuff needs to grow. You so. aren't kidding. And you got to germinate. you got to trigger the germination. And once it germinates, then you got to make sure it stays healthy, and moisture is a way to do that. Great. Thank you so much. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's go to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Morning, Mike. Morning. Love our show. Thanks for having me on your show. We're so lucky that you do this for us every (laughs) week. (laughs) Hey, I have a couple questions for you. Um, I have my tropical plants out on my my porch, and is this a good time to bring it in, or should I wait a little bit? No, you can get them ready. I mean... Check the stems, check the leaves, the underside leaf and everything. Check the soil for fungus gnats. Get everything all taken care of before you bring them in. But now's a good time to start getting, you know, that evaluation, overview and everything else. And then bring them in within before probably, I would say, mid-month would be an ideal circumstance. But, Uh you know, it's going to be weather dependent. Okay. The other question I have is, is, do you have an alternative to Roundup? I, uh, I cut down a bunch of honeysuckle, and those little boogers like to continue to sprout up on us. And I, 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 was, I sprayed some of it with Roundup, but I'd like to get away from that if I could. Do you have a suggestion? Uh, I would say just go to your favorite garden center. Now, are we talking about Roundup, the, shru- or, I mean, the honeysuckle, the shrub type? Or are we talking about the vine type, or what are we talking about? Shrub type. Okay, okay, I would say go to your favorite garden center and just tell them that you want to, you know, what herbicide that they have that they'd recommend for killing shrubs. It's got to be one okay. that will kill woody plants and, a, and oh. also one that's systemic. So, in other words, it gets absorbed into whatever you put it onto. Like I, with round, you know, with I always like to make a cut and then paint the herbicide, you know, the shrub killer right on that open cut that I have just made. And then it okay. gets sucked down and kills not only the above-ground growth, but the below-ground growth both. Okay. Well, thank you. Have a great day. Thank you, beautiful one. Well, you do the very same thing and enjoy. Yeah, honeysuckle, I, I was at a house not too long ago, and, man, they had some honeysuckle. Unbelievable. But remember, if you've got honeysuckle and you're on a hillside, you take that honeysuckle out that honeysuckle, as aggravating it as is and everything else and as aggressive it is and from an invasive standpoint, it is anchoring the soil. So once you start taking out or killing you know, the honeysuckle, you better have something to go into its place or you're going to have a major erosion problem. So just realize it is doing something that is useful and purposeful, but you know, as long as being invasive, I'm not saying it should stay, but I'm saying just be prepared to make sure that you, as you're taking it out, you're doing it with a thought process of minimizing or eliminating the possibilities of erosion. Let's go now to Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy. Hi. We have a question about honeysuckle, uh, um, bamboo. And we live in Festus, and it's all rocky, so we wanted to see if you could tell us how to get rid of it and if we can burn it. Uh, you can burn it. It probably won't do that much. Because uh, it'll only kill the above-ground growth. It won't kill the below-ground growth. But uh, bamboo is a grass plant, so you can get a grass killer. But you better get a grass killer that is really pretty strong. And just realize that uh, if you've got the golden groove bamboo, it could take multiple years before you're finally going to eliminate it entirely. So do you think we should just dig? Could we just dig it all up? Oh, yeah. 
You can definitely do that. I don't know if you've heard the story where when I worked at the botanical garden, I dug up a, two pieces of root of the bamboo from the Japanese garden, took it to my parents' house in Ellisville, planted it, and then it exploded. And my father, he did, he totally disliked it. My mother liked it. But for my father, for Father's Day, I had to go out and dig up bamboo roots because they sent up shoots, you know, four or five or six feet away from, you know, existing can, you know canes coming up out of the ground and it was it was prolific now i will tell you also now my parents have been passed away several years ago but just the other day i happened to be in west county for an appointment and i drove down maple lane which that's where this my you know house i grew up in was and i looked in the backyard through the you know off the street and uh, it looks like they finally eliminated the bamboo so it took about 30 years Oh my gosh! Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, this was a huge colony. It w- it was probably like a hundred plus feet long and about thirty feet wide. It was going into all over the place. It was nutty. I was stupid to plant that. Oh wow! Well, we've got a pretty big chunk of it, and we tried cutting some of it last year, and it just doubled and came back. And right. the shoots are really tall. So we're, but it, since it's all rocky there, you know, we didn't know if we could dig it up if it keep coming back or try to so you think we should dig it and also use a, a real strong grass killer right? right you could use a grass killer or it is kind of woody so you could use that anything that's systemic again something that's going to go down and kill the root system and probably if i was going to dig it i'd use a digging fork not a shovel because a fork especially if it's rocky you know you just want to pry the roots are not that deep you just want to pry the roots up and then yank them, you know, cut them and yank them off. So you don't have to, let's say, dig up big chunks of soil. You just dig, need to dig up the actual root system. Well, we're talking about, we're thinking about using heavy equipment because we can't do this by <laughs> hand. It's way too big. All right. So like a backhoe or something? Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Certainly. Wow, that's going to be a wild circumstance. Now let's go over to Jan's yard. Hi, Jan. Hi, Mike. Um, a couple of questions. I've had some mandevilla on my patio for years. They're glorious. But this year, for the first time, I think I have powdery mildew. Ooh. So a couple of questions. It's also the first year that I've used uh, styrofoam peanuts in the bottom of my large containers. Could that have caused a problem? No, I wouldn't think uh, so. Okay. And then um, are my containers infected for next year? Do I have to get rid of everything in that container to plant my mandevilla again? No, I mean, you're bringing the mandevilla in, I'm assuming. Actually, I throw them away oh, and do you? just buy again. Yeah, I, so if I you're tried getting to new save ones, them. doesn't work. There shouldn't be any kind of, let's say, residual for you know from it because... This is this you know powdery mildew is a result of hum, hum, excuse me humidity and the environment and things like that so that's why this year's it's occurred and it hasn't historically done so in the past but I wouldn't worry too much about it okay what I would do is maybe once you throw your mandevilla away stir that you know that potting mix up where you put them into and just I would that's probably all I would do I wouldn't worry too much. Okay. All right. Great. Perfect answer. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great. I'm glad I could help. And thanks for having me on your show. (laughs) And now let's, why don't we head over to Mary's yard? Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. Um, Calling from Soha, Southampton. Ah. Um, 
Yeah, I have zoysia grass, and I have a question. How soon can I winterize because the lawn, because I haven't, I have not um, done that in a few years, and it's been looking a little worse for the wear in the springs, especially. The rain helped fill in some of the spots. I thought maybe it caught something, a virus or something. <laughs> but um, anyway, how soon can I do that? What do you, what do you, I don't understand um, what you mean by well, winterize. Well, like the win, winterize fertilizer. No, 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 no. Don't but fertilize zoysia no. going into wintertime. That's the oh, worst really? thing you could possibly do. Because you're going oh, to. Good f- to know. Because they got to head towards dormancy, and the fertilizer will prevent that. And then if we get a severe, you know, cold snap or something, it could kill it all off because it's kind of like confused. Mm-hmm. Why am I growing and it's winter time? And so no, no fertilizer this time of year whatsoever. Yes, Best thing you can do is just you know keep it watered, keep it looking as good as you can. Then fertilizing for zoysia or any kind of warm season grass occurs in the spring and early summer. Good to know. Do you have time for one more question? Sure. We cut down a flowering plum tree uh, summer before last, this past summer, and um, still have a tree ring around it. And I've been putting, trying to plant things in there around it just to kind of camouflage it till it, you know, but everything dies. Is that because it's deteriorating and taking everything down with it? Or is there anything? I was thinking about putting something like some of our tiger lilies. I think that's what they are, those orange lilies that like to, our South City Yards, you know, that are growing along my fence. I would or, say I'd wait a little bit because even though I don't, you know, flowering plum trees or flowering cherry trees or any kind of small ornamental tree doesn't have a really a huge trunk, doesn't have a huge root system or anything else. Mm-hmm. But still what's happening is it's all imploding right in that spot. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I would just not waste my time, energy or money putting anything there yet. Uh, maybe put a, an inch or two of compost over the spot and just kind of make it look nice from that standpoint. Put a bird bath there temporarily or something along that line, and then wait for another year or two before you try to do any kind of planting in that spot. Maybe a flower pot. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> okay. okay, well, thank you so much, and Certainly. thank you for doing this for 25 years. Congratulations on your, <laughs> on your anniversary. Well, thank you. Yeah, how can I believe it? Uh, I've been here that long. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. You can start doing some pruning on your trees, too, like limbing them up if you'd like to or those type things. You don't necessarily have to wait until wintertime to do it. Uh, we're probably past the, let's say, the high disease season. That's why you don't want to do it in the heat of the summertime. Except I say that, and now I'll turn around and say summertime is really the best time to minimize the sap flow so you'd be pruning your maples at that time. So there's all kinds of this, this and that's and everything else. So anyway, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, concerns? Or comments. Aaron, how are you today? Hello, Aaron. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Uh, got a question for you. I've got a cool season grass at my home. It's, uh, I think, a, a mixture of soy, I'm sorry, uh, bluegrass and fescue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been pretty happy the way it turned out this year. You know, plenty of water, a little fertilizer at the beginning of the season. My big problem now are voles. 
any suggestion on how to get rid of these things. I was cutting my grass yesterday, and I saw this little pitcher's mound, and these voles are driving me crazy. Well, pitcher's mound, that's actually a mole that's doing that. Really? Yeah. The moles have two different tunnels. One on the surface, that's the one where they're looking for earthworms. So that's their mm-hmm. feeder tunnel. The one that's below is once they, let's say, get full because they've had enough earthworms or millipedes or whatever they've eaten, they have a lower tunnel that goes back to their sleeping den. So they get on the, when they're on the surface, they can just raise the soil up as they tunnel along. But the other tunnel mm-hmm. is about six or eight inches a little deeper, so they have to push soil up at certain areas. So that's what you have. You have a mole problem. Okay, yeah. And, I, you know, I've contacted... Uh pest companies, and, and, and it, I was amazed at some of the prices that they quoted me. I've tried videos on YouTube. I even applied plenty of Grub-X, you know, to, to eliminate what they may be feeding on. But that Grub-X is a minimal—grubs are a minimal amount of food for them. The majority, mm-hmm. 80% of their diet is earthworms. Mm-hmm. So if the, you have them in your yard, first of all, congratulations because you have a nice yard or you wouldn't have any earthworms in there. <laughs> Unfortunately, earthworms attract you know, moles. But, uh, yeah, the, getting rid of grubs means nothing to the moles. They could care less. They, it's okay. sort of like when you go to a restaurant, you're heading there for probably a full dinner. You may have an appetizer. That's what a grub is to a mole as, as he's tunneling along. Oh, here's a grub. I'll go ahead and eat that, but I'm going to continue because that's just an appetizer. I need to find my meal, my entree, and that's the earthworms. Gotcha. All right. Any suggestions on how I, how I can get rid of these things? Well, basically, I mean, it's the traps are the most effective. Now, there are some people that have called in over the years and say it's very vicious to kill them with traps because it spears them and chokes them. But you got to set traps. you got to have multiple traps. You know, find out which areas, tunnels, surface tunnels are popping up. Set the traps there. If you don't get a mole that day, I mean, some people sit there. You know, with a shovel and watch for the areas to pop up and then pop them up out of the ground with their shovel. Some people I've, I've heard, that. you know, pour gas into the mole tunnel. But to me, that kills the ground. So there's, right. you know, there's a lot of different crazy things. Okay. I'll continue to research that. <laughs> <laughs> but really, the most effective thing, if you go to the Botanical Garden, they got moles there. There's no getting around it. But uh, they use the traps. There's oh, Okay. And then if you got kids or pets or anything, you set the traps, then you put an upside-down bucket over the top of it, to, you know, and something to keep right. it from blowing. Okay, great. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. Now let's go over to Marie. Hi, Marie. Hello. Hi, Marie. I've got a couple questions. One, uh, I've been told that uh, we have fungus on our dogwood and that it will kill it. Is this true, or should I be scared? <laughs> well, where, where's the fungus? On the leaves? Uh, generally, I guess it possibly could. What's it doing to the leaf? It's uh, it's making them it kind of curl up, and, you know, of course, they're falling off this time of year. Sure. And they said they won't come back, and the, and the, the tree will die. Uh, well, I don't it's you know that very well could be the case because I can't see exactly what's going on, but uh, did a dogwood other than when did this start happening? When it really got hot? When it it could have just been the result of all the rain we had in the springtime. That's what that's what we thought. And so when you uncurl that leaf, what does it look like? You know, when it's you have it let's say flattened out, 
Is there any oh. spotting? Is there any fo- is there any foggy look to to it? Is there any discoloration? I you know I can't say that I've looked. <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, first of all, I would say don't panic yet, but uh-huh. uh, just be conscious of the fact that you know that's it could be problematic. And how old are these dogwoods or this dogwood? Oh goodness, what do you think, Jim? About ten years. Well, that's fine. I just wanted to. Go out and look at the end of the branches and see if you got the little, you know, flower buds for next year already set. Because okay. the dog, that sort of indicates the tree is overall healthy and it's setting the flower buds for next year. Okay. Would a spray help? Uh, this time of year, no. Uh-huh. With any kind of fungus problem, first of all, when somebody says fungus, they should have told you what kind of fungus. But go to your favorite garden center and take a couple leaves, sh- you know, show them. And then next year, when the leaves are about halfway out, make the first application of a fungicide for that specific type of leaf problem that you're having. And then about every two weeks for about three or four you know, applications, spray the leaves. But to spray this time of year or to spray after its presence is causing problems is a waste of time and money and everything else. So you, with fungicide, you've got to anticipate the problem and then stop it before it starts. Okay, and what should I look for on the leaves? Just any kind of discoloration or anything. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know they're turning now. Anyway, they're you know they're turning red. Right. Um, and I was kind of wondering also, um, is is there a, a mite that would that would uh, kill little bunches of of needles on a long needle pine or? No, those are regular spiders. Those are spiders. Yeah. Okay. Should they be sprayed? Nah. Well, if you want to go out there and you're because your plants need to be watered, just take a hose and try to you know wash them off that way. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. Yeah. It's a little bit distracting because of. I mean, this year has been more spiders than I ever remember throughout the entire region on different kinds of plants. I've got them on boxwood. My mugo pine gets them occasionally and things like that. I either just pull them off myself. And then sometimes they come back, and you know, it's just those are spiders, are not spider mites. Uh-huh. Okay, thank you. Certainly, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, this is Mike Miller. Uh, we're getting near the end. You've got about another week or so if you're planning to do some overseeding of your cool season lawn. So. And by even putting it down this late, you're kind of getting on the cusp. But uh, core array, do the normal stuff that you'd normally do. Don't just go out there and throw the seed down and expect something to happen because it will not. Especially if you have not dethatched or raked or core aerated or anything, the seed is just going to land. It's never going to come in contact with the soil, and it may germinate, but you're never even going to be conscious of it. So it's at the very, very end of any kind of overseeding at all. So let's go back to the phones, and where should we head? Let's go over to Chuck's yard. Hi, Chuck. Hi, good morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, I've got uh, mostly zoysia in my yard, and it's starting to go dormant finally. And I've noticed that in the backyard area, there appears to be spots like fungus. And a couple years ago, maybe three, I got infected with that chinch bug in the front yard, took care of that, and resodded. And now I'm wondering if, well, one, if it's a fungus, is there any reason to treat it at this time of year? 
And secondly, if it's chinch bugs, should I have that checked or just wait till the spring? Well, you can look and find out if it's chinch bugs yourself. Just get down on your hands and knees with a magnifying glass and look real close because you've had okay. a history of it. And you know what the damage does look like from chinch bugs. And they can be really damaging to zoysia. If it does happen to be, let's say, some kind of zoysia fungus, this time of year application is a total waste of time, money, and energy. So next year, just keep it in mind that you, if it's not the chinch bugs, that it is a fungus problem. And just like I was explaining to the lady with the, the dogwoods, you got to put the fungicides down before the problems start. Or since you've already probably have some dead spots, you know, where this zoysia is, has died out. Spray those spots for sure, but spray thing areas around it too so it doesn't spread and then get any worse. And then plan on just getting some, uh, let's say, zoysia plugs or a piece of zoysia side and cutting it up and placing it back in those spots. Okay. All right. That's good advice. And the other thing, last week I heard you mention to a lady who I think it was a pin oak tree where she was saying tips of le- uh, limbs were dropping instead of leaves. I had the same problem with my holly trees back in February where the normal time when the leaves start dropping, actually they were the tips of limbs with six or eight leaves on them. Is that the same squirrel problem you mentioned for a holly tree? You know, generally, you know, squirrels don't fool around with holly trees all that much. So I'm not saying it is, but you can always tell if it's a squirrel by looking at, let's say, the branch or the little twig piece on the, you know, when you just pick it up and look at it, if it's almost a perfect 45-degree angle cut, then it's definitely a squirrel. Okay, but if it's not a squirrel and... Again, the trees seem to do well this year. I was worried that they were dying or something, but they seem to be doing fine. But if it's not a squirrel, is there something else that would cause that? Generally not. Not with holly, unless, it, you know, I mean, it would have to be something, you know, I can't think of anything that's going to, you know, climb a holly and, you know, let's say chew off branches or twigs or the end of a branch or something like that. So I'm not exactly sure what that is. Okay. Well, I'll watch it again this year, see what happens. Right. (laughs) Check it out. All right. Thank you very much. Certainly. Yeah, maybe we should all start setting video cameras on our plants and so we can watch who's on that tree, who's on that holly. Anyway, enough. But uh, let's go now to uh, John's yard, and John lives in Chesterfield. Hi, John. Good morning. Hi. Um, I have have to paint my uh, fence, picket fence in my front yard this fall, and I've got one spot. I have a nice rose bush that... I, I can't get to the, like, two feet of fence on either side of it. Uh, how soon can I start cutting that back? Ideally, you'd wait for a little bit because you want the rose hips to form so the, you know, rose heads into dormancy. But uh, since you've got to do it, you know, I don't know how soon you want to start painting or anything else. I'd hold off as long as you possibly can and then do the pruning of the rose at that time. But uh, generally, your roses, you want to make sure that they've been pruned you know, back if you're going to do any kind of pruning, if they're shrub types, sounds like what it is, which don't no, need it's to hybrid pr- tea. Oh, it hybrid is. Tea. Wow. Yeah. So it must be a very robust hybrid tea. So yes, usually, <laughs> <laughs> so usually you're going to put uh, you're going to prune your hybrid teas back at let's say towards the end of this month, and then put four to six inches of mulch on them. So that's probably what I would. If you can wait that long, I would do that. If not, then just go ahead and prune them. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. And uh, don't prune any flowers off on the rest of the shrub or anything else because, again, you want those rose hips, those round balls where the flowers were, to, to be there because that triggers for the rose to say, oh, I'm going to head towards sleep. So thanks, John. Right. I, 
Yeah, I know. That's that's why I was asking. Right. Is there any chance if I prune them now that they'll keep growing enough to make some rose hips? Uh, probably not. Oh, okay. <laughs> not, All right. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not saying it's not possible, but generally it's not going to happen this late in the season. Let's head over to Tammy's yard. Hi, Tammy. Hi, good morning. How are you? Um, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have two questions. First of all, getting back to John and his hybrid tea rose, but what if it's a, a rose bush, like a knockout rose bush? Mine's looking pretty straggly the end of the season right now, and I was really wanting to trim some of that up. Can you do it this season? This can I do it right now? Uh, I would, you know, again, I'd wait as long as you possibly can. If it's really aggravating, okay. yes, but don't cut any more than like one third of it off. Some people cut them back real yeah. severely, cut them back to like a foot or so, and they have big, huge, mature ones. But I just, you know, that to me is a little bit drastic because you don't know if they're going to be if they're going to recover. You kind of, it's kind of a roll of the right. dice. So if okay. you hold off as long as you possibly can, and then do the pruning. Okay, and then my second question is. Um, I have some tropicals that I've in the past not messed with, uh, just gotten rid of them, and like like the mandevillas. I have four, four mandevillas. I was wanting to bring them in. Is there anything special that I need to do? Um, you know, I have a southern window, but it it doesn't uh, doesn't get a whole lot of light. Ooh. You know, it's a kitchen window. Um, anything you suggest? I would say if you're really serious about these things, I'd get some grow lights and maybe put them in the basement under grow lights. Because okay. this, this window well, doesn't well, sound big enough or adequate enough, you know, for four mandevilla vines, because I'm assuming they're fairly good size. They are. Yeah. So. It, would I expect them to drop their leaves? You, know, you, you could expect it. Gonna... Yes, you can expect a total nightmare as far as the amount of foliage it's going to drop and everything else. Okay. So that's, that's sort of the downside, but it's you know certainly worth a try. But to just realize that bring him, they've had a robust summertime. You've taken good care of them, obviously, because you want to bring them inside. But the indoors is a completely different world for them. And the amount of light, the amount of moisture, everything else, you've probably got a dehumidifier in your furnace or something along that line. Maybe you have a humidifier, but that's not going to be enough, you know, let's say air moisture. Right. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. Yeah. I've got uh, two uh, kaffir lilies uh, that I bring in. That These are plants that my great aunt Cleo gave me when I first moved back from California. I've had them for all these years because I moved back here a long, long, long time ago. And uh, I'm almost to the point now I have one still in a large pot. I've One of them I've kind of... Uh, put in a smaller pot and it doesn't like it so much. But uh, I'm almost to the point where it's 70 years old, carrying them down the basement steps and everything else. But I got my grow lights, got the timer on and everything else in the basement, so I'm going to give them maybe one or two more years and then decide what I want to do after that. I might just end up taking some divisions of them and bringing them inside. But uh, other than that, that's about the only things I save myself, except then, of course, I say that. And I have the elephant ears, I have the canna bulbs, I have all those that I have in pots. I got to dump the pots out. Yeah, I do that in the garage, let the let it dry, the potting mix dry, shake it off, then clean all the roots, the tubers, and everything off. And uh, then I bring put them in cardboard boxes, and then bring them inside and put them in the basement too. But I don't put them under grow lights or anything else. I just store them 
you know, in these cardboard boxes with newspaper layers in between. And also the other day, uh, Brightside St. Louis, the bulbs that I had ordered from them came. And so consequently, now I have about 175 bulbs that I got to get planted. I'm not into a panic doing it. I'm going to probably wait towards the end of the month. But I might put, usually I put them in the soil. But uh, this year I'm going to put them in the ground, at least some of them, just for fun. Because I want to do something a little bit different. So with the bulbs, how deep do they go? Whether they're crocus, whether they're aranthus, whether they're tulips, whether they're daffodils, it doesn't matter what it is. About three to four times the diameter of the bulb, that's how deep you want to plant them. So just remember that. You plant them too shallow, and it could be problematic from a cold standpoint and everything else. Also remember, squirrels do not know where these bulbs are. and If they're planted at the proper depth, the squirrels can't dig down and get the bulb out. So what usually happens is the bulb is actually killed because of the depth it was planted. So the squirrels are just digging because you've churned up the soil and planted. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, uh, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Guess what? I'm going to be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but before Mr. Kelly gets out of here, could you recognize any of those birds that sing in my new theme song? I haven't. I'll have to listen. I did not hear a hummingbird. I didn't either. I know them really well. You can you can hear their little, their little chirps. And it sounded but, like finches, uh, but I wasn't, I'm not positive. I'll have to listen more closely next week. I'll, I'll do that and try to identify them. <laughs> okay. You know, that tape could have come from my backyard. Really? It could have. There are mornings where it's, it's, yeah, there's a lot of them out there. That's perfect. Yeah. you got it, the ideal place to live. Next, te- next time I'm going to get you on with the peacock. There is no <laughs> mistaking the peacock. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, thanks, Brian. And take care of yourself. He's not feeling well, so he f- came in. So thank goodness he did. So if you do have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314. 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And uh, by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We're here to discuss plant selection, cares for, ups and downs. Yes, you can buy trees and shrubs and things like that and plant them. you got probably until the ground freezes to get them into the ground, so there's not a problem doing that. It's the time to take your, let's say, your summer bulbs out of the ground, and it's the time to be putting your winter next spring bulbs into the ground. So that's transition between those. Cool season vegetables and things like that. Your herbs, most some of the herbs are hardy. They can make it through the wintertime with not any kind of problems. Some of them will look pretty good, like rosemary. Uh, even I've tried it up in window boxes close to the house in the on the windowsill, and still they don't make it through our winter times. But uh, that's one of my favorite as far as... Uh, Let's say herbs go smell-wise and everything else. Don't use it too much eating-wise. But uh, your lawn, you've got uh, cool-season lawns. You've got another week or so to get the overseeding done if you want to do that. It's time to set your mower blades. It's probably about three to four inches. So make sure that you take care of that. So if you have any questions about perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. And uh, water gardens, just keep the debris. If you do have koi in your water garden, uh, keep the leaves and everything out of there because the leaves get in there and they'll sink down to the bottom and they'll start rotting and it could cause some major problems for your koi, koi meaning goldfish. 
And uh, remember, my answers, comments, and concerns is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered to you to consider. Across the big board is Alex, and he's producing again today. And uh, during the week, I spend my time doing landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and help you with aesthetic problems, problem solving, or whatever it happens to be, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and on the homepage, my email address and phone number are listed. And I can come to your, we'll set up a time where I'll come to your home. And I'll share my 40-plus years of uh, experience, professional, of course, experience, landscape design, plants, care, and maintenance. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. A tradition that was started by my mother as far as, like, decorations on the outside of the house and really on the inside of the house as well. I've carried on. And so I want to, there are some people that have done some spectacular decorating already, Halloween wise, seasonal wise, you know, harvest wise and things like that. So a tip of the trial goes out to all the houses that we drive by, or I walk by when I take my morning walks. And um, there's some people that have some great imagination. And I'll tell you, you know, we sometimes just go and just check out some of the stores with all the, let's say, seasonal stuff that's available. Some of these inflatable things, they are absolutely massive. I can't believe, you know, and I guess they're going to start showing up in people's yards. I don't know what happens to them at the end of the season if they don't sell, but I guess they're easy to store. But uh, there's a place over by Cronulla uh, Park, and it's a giant spider web with a giant spider. It's one of our favorite houses, so they always do a great job. So a tip of the trial goes out to those folks, everybody that does some outdoor decoration. It's just it's it makes it really really entertaining. So if you do have questions or concerns, three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. We're getting near the end of the season, so don't purchase even if you can get them at a big discount, like chemicals that are liquids. Because you can store them, just make sure they don't freeze. You know, so store them in a situation where they're going to, wherever, even your garage, if it stays above freezing in there, then you should be fine with it. Any kind of granular type stuff, just make sure that the bags, you know, you can fold them up, seal them a little bit, and just make sure that they're going to stay dry. Don't let any kind of moisture. If they're sitting on the floor, sometimes humidity on the bottom of the bag can cause problems that way. So just watch out about doing that. Uh, Start feeding your birds, as Brian Kelly does year-round, but maybe you don't. And so thistle seed is a great one for finches. The oiled sunflower for the cardinals. And if you like the morning doves, they just like a mixed seed mix. So various things like that. So if you do... uh, Let's see, what else can we take a look at here before we take a break? Oh, we've got three sugar maples as street trees. And one of them that's on the, I guess, the west side of the house, it's it's never really been all that healthy and uh, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, it is dropping so many leaves. So be sure that you stay on top of the leaf debris, whether you use a mulching mower or whether you rake or whether you blow or whatever it happens to be. Speaking of blowing... Thanks to two doors down, Charlie, our neighbor, he came into the couple yards and he blew all the leaves back across the street into the park. So, I mean, this uh, this sugar maple has been dropping leaves really a lot. 
And so the rest of the, the other two sugar maples aren't dropping any leaves yet at all. But this one obviously is under stress, and that's why any kind of tree that drops leaves dramatically early, that's a stress factor. Now, also, we have a lot of sycamores in our neighborhood, and, man, the sycamores really look, ooh, they're, they, their leaves, no green left at all. It's all just brown. A lot of the leaves are just hanging on. But still, the sycamores have really suffered because it has been so dry, and that's what you can anticipate. Early leaf drop can be as a result of that. So you want to take a call? Should Okay, maybe we'll go ahead and just take a break, and we'll take some calls. We'll talk to Joyce first when we get back. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. As promised, we're going to Joyce's yard. Hi, Joyce. Hello, Joyce. Joyce. Yoo-hoo. I hear people in the distance. Uh-oh. You've been waiting for a long time. Uh, I guess we're going to have to let Joyce go and talk with Judy. Hi, Judy. Hi, Mike. Um, my husband's noticed that there's some kind of animal that is is clawing around our house, around the base. We were wondering if it might be an armadillo and how to get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> it could be an armadillo. It could be a skunk. It could be a raccoon. So there uh-huh. could be several different things. Uh, armadillo-wise, I'd say you should probably find out exactly what it is by calling a pet control, you know, a wildlife control, whatever service, and let them decide, and then they can figure out what kind of traps or whatever you need to get rid of it. Okay. Well, I sure appreciate your comment, and I enjoy your show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, it could be an armadillo. I haven't seen any in our neighborhood yet, but I certainly have seen them, you know, Getting in close proximity, I've seen some in South County, and we're in South City, so sooner or yeah, later. we're in Imperial. I've seen them out on the, oh, you know, so, on the road up there. Right, definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, it could be an armadillo. <laughs> and I, maybe what you should do is try to trap it and then turn it into a pet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that might be kind of smelly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true, but they are so freaky looking, it's just kind of yeah, incredible. Sure. It's, well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it, Jim. Yeah, thank you. Yep. Bye-bye. And now let's go to Charlotte. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, Mike. Um, I just was calling regarding the lady who called in about the mandevilla vines. Mm-hmm. I have two, and one's white, one's pink. They're huge. They're gorgeous. And I cut them back, put them in the garage last year under a light, and watered them for, periodically. And they came back this summer out on the deck just beautiful. Perfect. Good idea. Um, they did have this little, like, crystallized white stuff that came out where, where I trimmed them back, mm-hmm. but I wiped all that off, and they just bloomed beautifully this this summer. Well, that's probably crystallized. Wasn't that just a sap? Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah. It was sticky. So. Right. So well, I just want to let her know you can keep them. <laughs> yeah, so is your, is your garage heated? No, it's so, not. So I'm assuming you didn't have them sitting on the floor then. No, they were sitting up on a workbench with okay. a glow light over it. Right. Okay, so that makes sense because you set stuff on the floor, even though your garage may, in theory, not get to a freezing temperature, the floor might, and it could damage the root systems of the thing. So it sounds like you got a great system. Yep, it worked perfect. So if she wants to keep them, she can. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks Thank for you, the Mike. insight.
And now let's go over to Ronnie's yard. Hi, Ronnie. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. Um, I talked to you early this spring about my lawn. I had a uh, new sod put in a year ago in July. Uh, it turned out fantastic. Going forward, uh, in the next two weeks, I, I'm going to aerate. And then I just heard you say I still got time to overseed. And then my plan is to put in compost. The question is, when do I put the winterizer down after all that? Uh, basically, you can put the winterizer, winterizer down you know, on top of the compost. It's just going to melt its way down. You can put it down whenever you really want out of that combination of things. The exact order doesn't make that all that much difference. But uh, other than when you're putting the fertilizer down, just make sure that you water it in. So it's, in other words, starts as sort of the process of it breaking down and being available for, the, for your lawn. Okay, so with the overseeding, though, how long should I wait for I put the winterizer down? Uh, you know, I'd probably may, maybe just a few days. I wouldn't you know, be overly concerned with that because even though it's not, let's say, a, a, pro, a promotion, a fertilizer that promotes, let's say, new growth or something along that line, it should be, if you put it down at the correct rate and everything else, it shouldn't be problematic for a new, newly germinated seed. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Yep. And now let's go over to Beth's yard. Hi, Beth. Well, good morning, Mike. Hi. I really enjoy your show and have learned so much over the years just listening to you and your callers. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. Um, my question for you this morning is I have a wonderful Japanese maple. It's uh, several years old. It's established, doing very well. And I noticed this spring, uh, about five feet from the tree, a seedling that is now about 12 inches tall, and I would love to keep it growing. Do you have any pointers on what I should do over the winter? It all depends on how much. You could leave it where it is, but probably what I would do is I would go to, my, to your favorite garden center and get, uh, you know, get some potting mix for starting plants, even though this is not a seed or anything else, but uh, basically, or if you have some potting mix that uh, you know is very, very well drained, I'd get a one-gallon pot. I'd go out and dig it up. I'd put it in the pot and water it really well after you do that, and then find a place where you can dig a hole in some garden space or something, and just drop the pot into a hole uh, for the winter time, and then you know. So, in other words, you want to make sure you want the hole to be deep enough so everything except for the top inch or so of the pot, which will stay above the surrounding ground. Okay, great. That way you've got a transplant. So, ultimately, and I'd grow it into a pot for a couple years until you decide where you want to, what's going to happen with it, what it's going to be, you know, what it really is going to become. If it's going to be the Japanese maple, if it's going to be something else, if it's going to, you know, whatever it happens to be, that way you've got it mobility-wise to move it wherever you want to. Okay, sounds good. Fantastic. Great. Thank I'm glad I could help. And speaking of that, Absolutely. we have, you know, down the alley, we've got, the, of course, the, the power lines, the phone lines and everything else, and the birds sit there. Now, we've got a lot of junipers in our neighborhood, and these, a lot of these birds like the blueberries on the junipers. So consequently, they eat these blueberries, they come and sit 
on the you know on the phone lines, power lines, whatever, cable lines, and whatever they happen to be. And then they go to the bathroom. So I get all these juniper seedlings, you know, in the bed spaces below, right along the garage in in that particular area, the side of the garage. And consequently, every year I go out and the seedlings are any place between six or eight inches to one to two inches. I just dig up all these seedlings and put them in window boxes. And then I put the window boxes in front of our kitchen window, you know, for the wintertime so we can have some evergreens growing. And they really do quite well. So I just I used to just use a weeding tool to pop them up out of the ground and then you know, water them in really well. I, like I said, I have the potting mix that I use to, for all my pots. I don't get a specific uh, potting mix for starting plant material. But I have great success doing that. So just realize you probably can have equal success with getting this Japanese maple. Figure the root system is going to be fairly deep, so water it the night before, and just di- you don't have to get make sure that you're getting the entire 99.9% of the root system, but just get as much as you possibly can and then get it down into the pot. So you'll have great luck with that. And now let's see, where should we go from here? Let's go over to Gloria's. Hi, Gloria. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have um, a couple of questions for you regarding Zoiza. Mm hmm. Um, our zoysia was very thick this year, but towards the end of the season, I noticed this crawling uh, kind of vine that weaves its way through the zoysia and has a little lilac or purple flower on it. Don't know how to get rid of it and don't know what it is. Well, basically, it's an annual weed, so there's nothing you can do you know, with it right now. It's called Speedwell. So it's Persian Speedwell. It's an annual cool season weed. So in other words, basically, you know, so did it grow through the entire summertime? Yes. Really? Because usually, I mean, if this is, so maybe it's not Speedwell. So it has a purplish, bluish flower. Hmm. It might be, it might be spurge then. So if it grew through the summertime, it's probably a cool, uh, an annual weed, a warm season weed. So what you need to do next year when the yellow forsythia is in bloom, even if you don't have one in your yard when it's in bloom in your neighborhood, get a pre-emergent and put the pre-emergent down. What that's going to do is kill these annual seeds, warm season weeds, as they germinate. So it's going to take a couple years to finally eradicate it if you have a huge amount of it. But uh, that's kind of what it sounds like it is since it's not the speed well. The speed well is a cool season one. But, again, the pre-emergent goes down when the yellow forsythia is in bloom next spring. And this, the pre-emergent will kill all these annual warm season weeds as they germinate. Okay. And then um, I bought some Scott's winter fertilizer. Um, is that appropriate for zoysia? No. No. Okay. You don't want to put that. any kind of fertilizer down on your zoysia. It needs to go to sleep, and the fertilizer will, fertilizer will prevent that, and then you could have some major temperature-related damage to it. All right. Then what about uh, aerating? When do you aerate zoysia? Any, all the zoysia stuff has to happen when it's actively growing. So you aerate the zoysia next spring when it starts greening up. You start fertilizing next spring when it starts greening up. So all the zoysia activities happen as it's actively growing. So you don't want to do it as it's headed towards dormancy of wintertime. 
Okay, so aerating and thatching, do you need to do both? Is that too much for it? Uh, no, I mean, you could th- you, really, you can, th- if you rake your leaves, I don't know if you have leaves, you know, from trees or whatever, that gets rid of a lot of the thatch right there. So you don't have to worry too much about the thatch. The core aeration is really to the advantage of your soil as well as your zoysia plants. Okay, and then one last question. We had a beautiful Japanese maple. Um, about 30 years old, and all of a sudden this year the leaves came out and then they started to dry up and fall off. And um, I had someone come and look at it, and they told me that the tree strangled itself, that when it was planted, the roots were not allowed to, you know, spread as they were supposed to, and they grew around the, the base of the trunk. Does that sound um, serious as far as taking that tree out and putting another one in that place of the same type? No, it shouldn't be problematic. And strangling itself, I, I mean, I guess that could happen. But when you take the tree out, it should almost, if it's, you know, that was truly the case. To me, it sounds like it was an older tree, 30 years old, and all that rain we had drowned it. That would be That's my analysis, as opposed That's to the you know the root systems intertwining each other and strangling each other. That can happen. You, what happen? The reason why that happens a lot of times, people that install plant material, they just pull it out of the pot. It's a big tight wad of roots. They don't s- separate those root systems at all, and they just stick it down in a hole. And the hole is about the same size as the the root system was and it's in heavy duty clay soils and that's becomes a real problem because then the roots just keep twirling right around there because they can't push their way out into the clay soil but if a tree lasted 30 years uh i i kind of don't think that's actually the case all right so then if you if we have it taken out and want to plant another one in that place do we need to build up that soil so that it's higher and the water doesn't rest there? Uh, or should you plant a tree in that same spot? You don't want to plant a tree. You can't plant a tree right in that exact location. There's too many roots and everything else, regardless of how the tree's taken out. So that's going to be real trouble. You can put it four or five or six feet away, but not right in that exact location. And just make sure right. when the hole is dug, it's three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about 80% as deep. So, in other words, the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground. I see. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Certainly. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. And if you have any questions or concerns, 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're headed over to Gail's yard. Hi, Gail. Hi, Mike. Hi. How are you? Very good. Um, I have lawn service, and they already did a lime application about uh, one and a half weeks ago. I was out of town. They're supposed to let me know when they're going to do it, but naturally I didn't get the phone call. Um, And they said it was in my package for every year. Um, I don't know if that's necessary, but I had aeration last year, Mm -hmm. and I'm choosing not to do it this year. But they said I should still have overseeding. And from your conversation with another person, I'm on the cusp of the overseeding. And if I'm not having aeration this year? Am I wasting my money? Uh, basically, 
aeration is really crucial with our crazy soil types that we have. So I would say core aeration every year would be something I would think would be important. Putting lime down, have they ever taken a soil test? I don't think so. So how would they know that your lawn needs lime? Lime changes the soil pH. And so consequently, just to assume that they need to put lime down, that's a routine that has been... I mean, been like done for years, decades ago, and now we're finding out that we can really create some problems by just doing something routinely that is not really needed that could be problematic for the lawn overall. So I would tell them, find out, ask them what the soil pH is, and if they don't know, then I would say no more lime gets put down in my lawn. But the correlation, I would think, is something that every year at least should be done, if not twice a year. So, okay. And um, so I should tell them to go ahead and aerate if they're going to overseed it. Definitely. So, yeah. And, okay. And I always say, you know, obviously after the seed goes down a half inch or so of compost, but, you know, sometimes that's a little bit, let's say, out there for some of the lawn services. Okay. And then uh, I had back surgery, so I didn't cut down the peonies yet, you know. Um, is it too late to do that? No, definitely get them cut. Yeah, get them cut and get them out of there because they probably have powdery mildew. And once they start laying on the ground, they're inoculating the soil next year. So when the root system starts pushing the, let's say, the foliage up through the ground surface, it can get those spores for the powdery mildew on the leaves right then. So cut them off, get rid of them, and do that every year. You could probably do it even around Labor Day if you wanted to. Okay, yeah, I do it every year, but this year I didn't yet. Right. So as soon as possible, yeah, then, absolutely right? right. And like I say, okay. disc- discard it. Don't just leave them lay after you cut them. Right, okay. All right, thank you. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's go to Tracy's yard. Hi, Tracy. Tracy, are you there? Hello? Hello? Hi, go ahead. Yeah, uh, this uh, I'm gonna ask you about uh, what I want to ask you about these spots. All I think they got the disease, and some of them garden is not mixed. But when I put seed down last year, I guess the disease still wasn't gone. I heard you tell somebody about plugs where the zoysia grass is. Yeah, you can't grow zoysia from seed. I know, I know that, but if I put the regular seeds down, okay, grass seed that uh. You're right. If you grass seed down, like you've had to store some good grass seed, can okay. I put that down in, a, in the spots of grow regular grass? So, in other words, well, if you rake it and get it all prepared and everything else, but you only have about a week to get the seed down because the temperatures are going to get cool enough that if the seed comes up, it could be problematic because our first frost could come later on. Right as this seed has germinated. So if you're going to put seed down in these spots, get it done ASAP. That's why I tried to tell uh, Alan Tree Service, and uh, he told me I had to October because he was supposed to do it for me. But I told him, you said you had to get it down before the 15th. Yeah, right, exactly. So by mid-October, the seed should be down. Okay, so I put seeds down last year in the grass. Is, uh, 
I put seeds down last year, and the spots came back. So it's probably I have to constantly, like you said, every two or three weeks put the disease stuff down. Right, exactly. Is that correct? Yeah, and start doing it before you, you know, before you start seeing any kind of bad problems in those spots. But even if you those, even if those spots are still existing, you're gonna. I would recommend spraying it because this stuff could spread and spread and spread. So, just you got, you know, the system's so, a little bit off. So next March, I should start putting the uh, this, uh, the fungicide. Yeah, I should start with like March. Yeah, it's weather dependent, so I can't really put a date. Just I'll just be, say April. I'll just say April. So how often should I put it? Down? Every two weeks. First, you okay. know, find okay. out exactly a, what it is. Take a sample to your favorite garden center and let them take a look at it. They'll give you the best fungicide to take care of your problems. So thanks a lot, Tracy. Okay. Greatly appreciate it. Let's head over now to Tom. Hi, Tom. Yes. I got a question on uh, nuthatch. My uh, uh, lawn guy, I, it came up this summer, and he says, well, we got to wait later to kill it what when should they be killing it and what are they supposed to use now i don't know what nut hatch is you mean nut sedge yeah yeah well, like water grass okay just- yeah so nut sedge it's almost it's too late to do anything to it now it's already headed towards dormancy so next year as soon as it starts showing up then they should be putting sedge ender you know by bonite or something along that line specifically to kill that stuff because Regular herbicides don't work on it. Yeah. So they've already screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to get it when it's, it's already headed towards sleep. I mean, I've got some, you know, some little spots that I leave in my yard just so I can kind of watch it and everything else. And so consequently, it's gone. It's headed towards dormancy. So any kind of herbicide that you put down this late in the season becomes less and less effective, and some of them are basically non-effective this late, and probably a sedge killer is one of those things. So next year, you know, have them watch it really closely because it starts usually coming up. Again, it's always weather-dependent, but sometime mid to late April, early May, that's when it starts showing up. Go after it right then. It doesn't have a waxy cuticle on the surface, and the herbicide for killing nutgrass will be right there then. Okay. All right, thank you. Yeah, and it's going to take several years to get it under control. One year is not going to work. It's going to take multiple years. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, back to the phones we go. We're headed out to Winfield, and let's go into Pat's yard. Hi, Pat. Uh, Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have a question. In uh, mid-July, my family and I took cuttings off of my hydrangea bush mm-hmm. and uh, propagated them. I put them in a tub outside. They are doing great. They all rooted. They're growing new leaves. Uh, my question is, is they should come out of the tub on October the 20th? Should I, how should, should I put them in the yard or should I put them in another pot to start growing and keep them inside over the winter? What kind of tub are they in? Um, one of those like plastic storage tubs, and then I have all of them in pots. I have nine of them in pots. I haven't watered them. I've kept the lid on it all summer. And if you look at the uh, little pots I put them in, the roots are just shooting out all over. 
basically, I would just, can you just go ahead and leave them where they are? Uh, yes, but uh, going into winter, would they be okay? Yeah, they, I mean, they should be as as good as like putting them into a pot because then put them in a pot, you're going to sink that pot into the ground, and it sounds like they're already in a pot, you know, surrounded by soil, which would be actually, you know, help with the insulation of the cold weather. Oh, so I can just keep them in that plastic tub and leave them outside where they're at? Yeah, as long as there's drainage holes in the bottom of the plastic tub. Um, there are not, oh. and I have not watered them because, you know, I was told not to water them because they make their own uh, water and moisture, and it's kind of like a terrarium setting. I would say if we have a downpour, it's going to drown them, so I w- you're going to have to get them out of there. Okay. So I would just go ahead and maybe get some, like, one-gallon plastic nursery pots and maybe get some potting mix and just put a, maybe one or two or three of them in that one-gallon pot and with the new potting mix. Don't take them out of the pot or anything else that they're growing in and just then sink those pots into the ground into a bed space. Okay. And another question about the hydrangea. <clears throat> I've had a hydrangea bush in my yard that has not bl- – the hydrangea bush is doing great, but it hasn't gotten any flowers on it in about three years. One year, I just let it all go and no flowers. The next year, I cut it all back in the fall. Why would it all of a sudden quit flowering? It's too old. It's no. too old. Yeah. Well, so am I. So. <laughs> Me too. So. <laughs> so, so, that's, so now if we grew, if we're trying these hydrangeas that we propagated, are they more likely to flower? Yeah, they should because they're younger plants. This plant is probably just, you know, it's past the, Did you take the cuttings from this plant? Yes. Okay, so it should be okay, but there's, I mean, like big regional nurseries that do production, they take cuttings off existing plant materials, and that's not to say that they take them off ones that don't flower, but I would say you should be fine. Okay, plus I have to tell you, my hummingbirds are still here. All right, great. <laughs> <laughs> These country birds are tough. <laughs> okay, thanks. You have a great weekend. You do the very same thing. And let's go now to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi there, Mike. I love talking to you on a Saturday morning. I learned so much. Well, thanks. I'm calling because I have a tropical area outside that I've really been working on for about two or three years, and it's just gorgeous. But I'm going to bring everything into our heated basement, and my husband puts up fabulous grow lights, but I don't know what to do with, like, the bird of paradise. Should I uh, cut it off because it's really tall now and just leave, you know, like a foot or two feet of the the base uh, there? I got a fig tree, too, that's about six foot tall. Can I just watch all of them very carefully to be sure they're healthy and no bugs? And... um, what about the elephant ears? I've got mammoth elephant ears. Do I cut those off uh, with a foot or two of, uh, uh, of uh, length and then and keep them in the soil that they're in? I need help. 
Uh, basically, with the elephant ears, you can just cut off all the foliage, all the stems and everything. You can pull them out, and they'll just, you know what an elephant ear looks like. It's just a yes. round ball. So okay, you can just store it as a round ball. You don't have to grow, grow it as a plant inside okay. unless you just want to. The bird of paradise, if it's too tall to put into your basement or if it's too heavy, then just cut it off, leave it, and it's in a pot, I'm assuming is what you're yes. saying. Just cut it off, bringing the pot in, and you don't even have to set the pot underneath the grow lights if you don't want to, but you okay. can. And what about uh, the fig tree? Yeah, the fig tree, the ficus trees, they are going to be, have you brought them in before? No, I just got it. Well, yeah, I brought it in last year. I had just gotten it. It's about, now it's going to be three years old. Yeah, so it's going to... You know, it's going to drop a lot of leaves and everything else, so just watch out from a, just an aesthetic standpoint with that. Okay. And I tried the crotons last year, and of the five that I put under the lights, only one really came back. Right. They it's don't do so weight. well. They don't like grow lights. They don't like it inside. Okay. So just get rid of them. And last but not least, I've got phenomenal geraniums. I mean, they're, they're unbelievable bright red hanging ones and pots. Uh, should I cut those back? I mean, last year they made it beautifully through through the, uh, the hanging ones, like in the house. Right. Yeah. My uh, my grandmother always brought her geraniums geraniums in. She had the stem ones and she had the hanging ones both. She just left them alone and just took you know put them down in the basement in front of windows. So right. that's you. Know, that's all you really need to do. Well, thank you so much. Just what I needed to know, and you'd probably cost my husband a few hundred dollars less than he would have spent. So. <laughs> oh, great. Let's see. You can just mail that check to me. No. Yeah, I'll, hey, I, you've already been to the house, and you, I followed all of your instructions. <laughs> right. I recognize thank your you. last name. <laughs> thank you, dear. <laughs> Certainly. Goodbye. And let's see if we can. Uh, Debbie, can you do it kind of quick? Hello. Hello, Debbie. You, can you do it quickly? Sure. I just want to know, first of all, we want to thank you for your show. And second of all, I want to know, when do you cut down hydrangeas, trim or cut them down to, you know, for the winter? And, that, uh, and how far do you cut them down? Basically, don't trim your hydrangeas at all. There's some, Don't like the PG them. hydrangea that blooms in the springtime. If you prune it now, you're not going to have any flowers next year at all. A lot well, of times... Uh, there are the, en uh, the endless hydrangeas. I mean, they get really high. Right. They, I would say, unless you got to, I would say just leave them alone. The next year, if there's any stems that come out that don't have any foliage or anything, cut those off. Just leave them alone. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. I yeah. appreciate it. A lot of Bye. people, it seems like we get these hydrangeas. Some of them just get old, but sometimes we knock them out of the sequence from flowering by doing the pruning. So, yes, you know, forevers, they bloom all summer long and everything else, and they do get tall, but hopefully you put them in a location where they're not going to be, you know, problematic for walkways and things like that. But cutting on the hydrangeas, we got to stop pruning them so much and see if we can get better success out of them because I would say – even, you know, on the phone call-wise, there's always going to be some, and some of them because the hydrangea's older. But some of them are just because people are pruning them and getting them out of sequence of when their flower buds are ready to go. So thanks to everybody. Boy, oh, boy, these first last two days of our, you know, have been so nice and cool. So a hint of fall coming in the air, fall colors coming. So just take some time to take a nice deep breath and actually enjoy the outdoors. Mike Miller. 
I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.